0: to landscape photography world the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography i'm grant swinburne and i'll be your host on this show talking to landscape photographers about their motivations likes and dislikes something a little different this episode i'm talking to jack wardale about nfts social media and mental health jack is an ambitious englishman trying to live the american dream He's a photographer and videographer by trade, and currently in the process of studying for his PhD in industrial organisational psychology. He runs his own media agency, creating experiences for creators and brands worldwide. In this episode, we discuss the burgeoning NFT market and address some of its pros and cons, and have a fascinating conversation about how to manage some of the mental health issues which can come from social media. FOMO and imposter syndrome. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Jack. Welcome to the podcast. How are you going?
1: Uh, I'm doing very well, Grant. How are you?
0: Yeah, really well, really well. And uh, thanks for taking the time with me uh, today. Um, I've been looking forward to talking to you about this. Uh, and I, I guess for the listeners, this is going to be a little bit different to what I normally do because, you know, Jack isn't what you would call a a, i guess a traditional landscape photographer or you would uh, i'll let jack describe who is jack (laughs)
1: um yeah no i I completely would agree with you i'm i'm not typically a landscape photographer all although i have shot landscape photography in the past um my primary medium is actually uh, video Uh, so i work with brands and i also work with influencers or content creators whatever the The buzzword seems to be these days and and basically i work on travel marketing campaigns and partnering with brands and i handle all of the production and and obviously the shooting that goes along with that so that's that's my main um focus uh but more importantly i think for the parameters of this conversation is is that i'm also interested in nfts and i think we're gonna hopefully unpack some of that
0: today yeah absolutely um and you know I think there's a a lot of a lot of hype and a lot of noise and yeah you know, a lot of, also a lot of ignorance and people just not knowing what NFTs are for example. So, how about how about we start with a bit of a primer? Uh, what what are NFTs and how do the, how does it work and you know what what does the the, the market actually look like right now?
1: yeah um loaded question for sure in terms of what oh, no. does the market look like right now because it kind of changes every we can load that one <laughs> yeah um but in terms of what nfts are so they uh, the nft um acronym stands for non-fungible token and what it basically is is it's uh, the digital transformation of art and ownership so unlike how you would have a certificate of authenticity in real life um, An NFT grants you digital um, authorship of a digital product, whether that be a photo, video, or any piece of digital art. And it forever will stay on what's called the blockchain. And the blockchain is basically um, a public um, transaction ledger um, and it's available um, to anyone. And that can be on what's called a specific blockchain. So um, primarily in the NFT space right now, um, all of the transactions are conducted on the cryptocurrency blockchain Ethereum. But there are also a couple of upcoming alternative blockchains such as Solana and Cardano. So, the best way to explain it to a layperson is because I think people always say, well, why can't I just right click and, and save the image and now I own it too? And it's not yeah, quite I- like that. And I make the parallel of, Uh, the Mona Lisa right so the Mona Lisa is the original and buying it in the gift shop would be the equivalent of right clicking and saving as and what's the difference well the person that owns the original Mona Lisa has that certificate of authenticity to say that they own the actual Mona Lisa in the same way that in the transaction ledger on the blockchain I can see that I have the digital ownership of that digital asset whatever that may be so there are a lot of parallels with um, how art operates in the real world, but there is just that digital dimension to it. And hopefully today I can kind of demystify um, some of those uh, growing pains. that I think a lot of artists in the real world are having when it comes to transitioning into the digital world and understanding how NFTs work and how can I integrate my physical art into a digital medium.
0: Sure. So how does this as you say you know somebody can just look at an image and right click it and save it to their hard disk how does how does this change what people can already do and what what does the certificate of authenticity uh, or whatever actually give that person
1: yeah so i think um because it's digital um there's a greater ability for your work to be seen by a whole new market um by it innately being a digital marketplace, you could have someone interested in your work from Australia, the UK, America, anywhere, theoretically, that has a an Internet connection that's interested in the market. So I think the biggest um, advantage of, of trading over to a digital market is you have so much more exposure and you can also build on your real life demographic that you're targeting. Um, in, in terms of how, how does it kind of compute with regards to the authenticity? Um, the Blockchain, as I mentioned, is public, so you can always see exactly who has digital ownership of your product, Um, And that's because of the transaction history that is, as I said, publicly available. So let's say I have a digital product and I'm an artist and I make something. Whoever buys that from me um, will receive the digital ownership through that transaction. You can um, literally look through your whole transaction history to see every single owner that consequently owns that piece. What that allows artists to do is actually um, regain some of that uh, secondary market money that's often lost in the real world. So for example, if someone buys your painting one day, you're probably never going to see that painting again. But with this digital um, asset, I can track exactly where that painting is going or the digital, um, you know, piece of that painting. And I can actually attach royalties to that painting. So even if it gets sold on and on and on, I, as the artist actually still get some of those um repayments um through royalties mm-hmm. and that puts a lot of value back into the and, and responsibility and ownership back into the artist's hands i think a lot of people in real life like i said they'll see their work get sold once and and they'll never see it again and it may go for millions eventually the cool thing about nft space is that if it did go for millions you'd still be entitled to a certain percentage which would be calculated through the royalties that you you put up so i think that's another Real benefit. And then the final benefit that I really think is cool for NFTs is that the transaction happens simultaneously. So unlike eBay, where maybe you would sell something and then you would, you know, wait for the, the customer to pay before you sent the image, as that payment is made, the image goes the other way because it's all done digitally. Um yep. so there's no having to wait, there's no lag time of waiting for payment before you send that um digital NFT. It happens simultaneously. So both parties are happy. So I think those are the the main differences slash advantages to having a digital product. And I don't think that that's exclusive from the real world either. I see a lot of utility between offering an NFT. And then as one of the perks of that digital owner offering the NFT, some artists have then said, well, you've bought my physical photo, for example. Um, Here's a physical print to go along with that and I can ship that to you. And that's, again, the benefit of having this public transaction ledger. I know exactly who has um, my piece, who bought it, and I can then connect to them directly, not just to say thank you, but also to say here's some added utility, added value um, for believing in me as an artist.
0: Okay. So what, let, let's say I'm a, a new artist or, a, or a, you know, I, I, I could be like me, an old artist that uh, has been around for a while and I'm, I'm new to the NFT market. How do I get into it? What is it that I've actually got to do?
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, theoretically, all you would need to do is um, find a marketplace. Um, So you could pick OpenSea is probably the most common. And again, that's on the Ethereum uh, blockchain network. And even taking a step back from that is actually changing your US dollars or whatever currency you currently operate in to uh, the cryptocurrency, which in this case, like I said, is is Ethereum. So there's something called um, an electronic wallet. And that address that belongs to your wallet is kind of like your identification and that's what's publicly available so that people can see um, on the blockchain what transactions you're making and that really helps emit fraud a lot of the times and keeps people accountable in the public domain as to what they're doing in terms of transactions so the first step would be to change your current uh real life currency into uh cryptocurrency i would recommend ethereum that's where the predominant marketplaces right now for NFTs. And then once you've converted it, um, an example of of somewhere that you could do that is crypto.com. Um, Coinbase would be another one. So there's there's a few different uh, you know, what would you call them? Marketplaces for cryptocurrency using your yeah, domestic they they are
0: kind of like a currency exchange.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yep, that's exactly what I would akin it to. And so it, it may seem dawning at first, but trust me, once you start, um it becomes a lot easier. And then once you've done that, you set up your wallet, your electronic wallet, and then you connect that to the marketplace. And again, by doing so, you're basically saying that when I sell whatever NFT I have, it belongs to this address first. And why that's important is because you have to do what's called minting your NFT. And what does that mean? Minting your NFT means converting your JPEG to the blockchain, basically, or your video to the blockchain. and The process is just known as minting and that conversion um, costs a little bit of money nothing too crazy but what it does is is it forever will cement your piece of art into the blockchain so that it will basically exist forever digitally and then once that's happened you can then trade that with other users so theoretically whenever you mint a piece of your art you actually are the first owner of your artwork It actually sits in your wallet until you're ready to list it And then once you list it, it's then publicly available for anyone else that wants to buy it. So to be more direct, change your money over to cryptocurrency, set up your wallet. I would recommend MetaMask. It's the most compatible with OpenSea. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. mint your item, which, as I said, incurs a little bit of a fee. And that will transition whatever digital piece that you have onto the blockchain and then enable that piece to be traded with other sellers online.
0: And as you said, that digital asset could be uh, a a still image, could be a collage, could be an audio file, could be a video file—pretty much anything.
1: Yeah. So, like, right, right now, um,
0: could be a word doc,
1: could be a tweet. It it could. No, no. You say a tweet, you laugh, but someone actually did uh, mint one of their tweets, and it sold for a good bit of money. So, it's really at the at the. How would I say this? And let's cut. We'll cut this. Um, It's at the leisure of the artist, whatever you believe to be art is what you can create as an NFT. Now, some people listening may say, well, what about physical art mediums like sculpting or even paintings? Well, there are opportunities to scan things like a painting to retain a lot of the resolution. You know, I would highly not recommend taking a picture with your iPhone of your painting and putting it on. You know, it doesn't really work like that. But again, adding that physical utility to your NFT listing to say to a collector, not only will you get this digital copy of my painting, I'm actually going to send you the physical copy too. And even when this gets posted, I'm sure the NFT industry will have moved forward um, a, a ton. And that's the kind of crazy thing about the NFT space right now is if you try and look up articles on the topic of NFTs, a lot of it's outdated already just because the industry and the community is moving so fast. So I would highly recommend taking to Twitter or Clubhouse. Those are the two social media platforms that are really trying to educate people about NFTs. I'm biased about Twitter because that's where I live and I do a lot of my kind of sermons as a, as a speaker about um, teaching people about NFTs, but Clubhouse certainly has some good resources also.
0: Yeah, cool. So when um, you, you you've got it out there in the market, Um, how do you know how do collectors find it what what's what's the best way for people to connect with your work because you know it's it's very much like um i mean i i know the 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 physical industry you know for print sales you know you put up your website and you know you blast it out on social media you might even pay for an ad on instagram or facebook or whatever you know or even twitter um and you know hopefully you might get a few bites out of that but you know how do, how do how does somebody find your art in in these marketplaces?
1: Sure, and I think that's a million dollar question right now because the market hasn't matured. There's not the best functionality on these marketplaces to connect collectors and artists. So for the time being, anyway, and this could change very readily. And I'm I'm making a really firm push towards OpenSea, one of the marketplaces, in order to add a category for photography because that doesn't even exist yet and that will bring a ton of eyes to the community but until then social media is is the best platform and i know grant that you talked about paid advertising doesn't really work because people not enough lay people know what nfts are yet Mm -hmm. so anyone that's listening and thinking well is there even a market for my piece yet there will be and there already is but not to the extent of the real world right now, just because everyone knows what a physical gallery looks like, but not everyone knows what an NFT is, let alone a virtual gallery. So if you are going to jump in now, you are going to be one of the first movers, although the the market is becoming more saturated by the day. I definitely think there's an incredible use case for photographers, for, well, for any, any artist, but mainly photographers that can make that art both digital and physical. And I do believe that in the future, there will be physical galleries that you'll go to and you'll buy the physical version of the the photo. And you'll also be eligible for that digital NFT at the same time. So you'll have this kind of two-way system. Some collectors will find you via your NFT and then you'll ship them the physical asset. And at the same rate, people will find you in physical galleries And they'll also get that complementary NFT for buying your physical print. And I think they'll just work in tandem rather than mutually exclusive of one another. And that's where I see the future right now. But the problem is the galleries haven't got the education either. The galleries don't know what NFTs are either. So until we go out into the gallery spaces and say, this is what NFTs are, this is how you can kind of rejuvenate physical galleries to have a, a, a digital component and dimension to them, that's when I think... Both parties are going to see a real lot of success because it it starts blurring the line between what's digital and what's real.
0: Yeah, yeah. So talking about cryptocurrencies and uh, NFTs, you know, the, there's going to be a lot of people out there that, you know, A, don't really understand the space, but also don't trust the space because it A, it's new. They see things like you know the volatility of things like Bitcoin and other other cryptocurrencies versus the the fiat currencies like US dollar, AUD, etc. Um, how do how do people trust it, and what what is it about this that actually enables people to sort of you know actually invest their money in it?
1: Yeah, definitely, and I and I think I would always hearken back to the example of the internet and and the adoption of the internet so what we're venturing into is what a lot of the industry is being uh, coined web three so web two was kind of social media and the explosion of that web one was the the very infancy of the internet itself but web three is going to be this integration into what's been called the the metaverse which again is is this blurred line between reality and um, the internet so i think there were plenty of people that were sceptical about the Internet when it first um, started being adopted. And I see that same kind of scepticism about cryptocurrency decentralization and the, to- the new token economy in the metaverse. And I think I would just say to people that are sceptical, you use the Internet every single day, probably, um, without even batting an eyelid.
0: Yeah, you buy from Amazon because you trust that Amazon's going to deliver whatever it is that you bought, you know?
1: Exactly, and that took time, right? It wasn't something that happened overnight. The first
0: first six months of Amazon, uh, aside from them not making any money for several years, but the first six months of Amazon was that, oh, can we trust them, this new kid on the block, et cetera, and now they're everywhere, you know?
1: Exactly, right, and it takes enough people to onboard first for people to gain trust, and I understand that, There's always going to be people that are very very skeptic and there's going to be people that are very very open to new ideas but what i would say is this is you cannot hide the future application of ai of the metaverse of digital applications of pretty much everything that we do in in the world and the world has never been smaller and the quickest way for us to reach everyone is through digital you know media And we're already seeing that advertisers are already putting all of their budgets into social media and online because that's the way that they can, you know, contact and connect with the most people. And it's no different for us as human beings, as social beings. We want to connect with people, too. So if any of you are familiar with the movie Ready Player One that was directed by Steven Spielberg, it's a really good crack at what I believe we will see unfold over the next 15 to 20 years with this real integration of. People spending part of their time in the real world, but actually part of their time in the digital universe. And mm-hmm. it's almost like this next opportunity for people to re- rediscover themselves and to be who they really wanted to be the whole time. And I think that certainly the way the real world's going right now is that there's a lot of suppression on opinions and what you can and can't say and what you can and can't do. But there really isn't that same rule book um in the metaverse and right now i'm very grateful to be part of uh the community where we're trying to cultivate those values like what values do we want this metaverse to be built on and we're really trying to push love compassion and belonging and it's not all about you know competition and and it's more about supporting one another and if we can adopt those values into this metaverse you know there's no surprise when people are going to be spending a lot more of their time on the digital in the digital world than they are going to be in the real world so i think you're going to start seeing that integration probably within the next 10 to 15 years and i think the people that are jumping in now really are the the first movers they're the trailblazers and it's going to take enough people like us to adopt the platform to believe in the process and the tech in order to get mass adoption and we're just not there yet and that and that's very plain and simple but it's coming like you saw with bitcoin when it was like one buck for a coin now now look at it this stuff isn't going away this is not a bubble anymore i i even was skeptic at one point about crypto i was like it's going too fast too quick yeah but then once yep. i really became antiquated with everything that's going on in the tech space and how the token economy is going to grow communities online i really understood why we're on this parabolic trajectory that we're on and yes we've seen some you know, um, some kind of uh, plateauing with these cryptocurrencies as the market starts to stabilize a little bit more. And you will continue to see that as the, the metaverse, you know, is built out. But if you get in now, you are way ahead of your time and you're going to be in 100, 200 years, your piece of art, like I, I tweeted this uh, yesterday, your piece of art is going to be in a gallery somewhere and people are going to be like, they minted this in 2021? This yeah. was like the first year that NFTs really were able to be minted. And that's a really cool feeling. And, and as I said in the tweet, that should be celebrated in itself that you've took the the risk to integrate into this new digital society that, that we're all having a hand in building.
0: Yeah, sure. So talking about how that mainstream uh, sort of economy sort of starts to integrate into the the NFT economy, or not just NFT, the crypto economy, uh, and, and things like the the, the metaverse. Um, can you sort of cite some examples where, you know, that that sort of thing has started to happen? I know it's very early days, but I, I, I know I've seen an article uh, about um, uh, Visa, the credit card company, um, you know, starting to accept and issue debit cards and credit cards uh, in cryptocurrencies but also uh, uh, if i'm right they uh they also bought a, a cyberpunk which is a, a a kind of avatar um but there's also um uh, christie's and sotheby's that are actually now doing nft auctions uh so you know can you can you cite any other examples and you know where where do you see i guess that mainstream merging starting to 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 happen there
1: definitely i I think it's just a a case of consumer confidence in the market i i think that again i would be oblivious if i said that there isn't some volatility going on right now and that's just because the market is still being uh, adopted and created but a prime example would be the hundreds which is a skatewear brand they just Um, Made some NFTs for the community and put them on sale. So now that you're seeing businesses that have existed and brands that have existed in the real world start to jump ship into the digital world, it won't be long before other brands have the confidence to jump too. I wouldn't be surprised if within the next year, Nike had NFTs, Disney had NFTs, a lot of these big household name brands. And I think that will start really causing mass adoption you're seeing a lot of celebrities starting to buy nfts steph curry um just comes to mind um as someone that bought one of those like you said those avatars um his was a a board ape yacht club uh piece and it's kind of crazy when you think of some of the numbers that are flying around in this space you know to pick up a board ape right now today which is you know september middle of september you're looking at i don't know two hundred thousand dollars for for an ape and crypto punks you're looking at about the same rate and that's because they were the first to move and and do it successfully so i think this space is is rewarding innovation and and going back to the whole photography um, part of nft world is if you can innovate and integrate technology into what you're doing with your photography which i know mouse may sound a little scary you're at the very forefront being an nft photographer you're up there but if you can integrate the smart contracts that are associated with your nft and the blockchain into your art um a notable example would be ben strauss yep. he managed yep. to make I a transient thinking. yeah so he just made a transient photo where depending where you are in the world you will see that photo um with those kind of conditions so for example here for me right now it's it's nighttime so i would see a starry sky in his image whereas. You, Grant, may see it completely different, right? Yeah,
0: the um, uh, middle of the day sort of thing. So, yeah.
1: Exactly. So you would see it like that. So that's just an application of where technology meets creativity. And that's why I'm so excited about this space is creatives until now have kind of stayed in the art world and they've been known as artists and, and that's that. Same thing with tech innovators have kind of stayed in the tech world and relied on their logic. Now you're seeing the intersection of the creative world and the tech world, and it's never happened before. And that's why this this whole community is moving exponentially because the amount of innovation that's being done with these two types of minds in synergy is is incredible. And and that's where you're seeing a lot of like Ben Strauss. I just saw today there was an artist that has uh, Polaroids. And if you have a certain app, there's like this VR experience where you can look at the Polaroid and it has like a video kind of like how Harry Potter does with the whole newspaper they had. And we all kind of watched that maybe what, 15 years ago. And we're like, that would never happen. Come on. We're like miles away and now you're seeing it. And that's the cool thing is that, it, you know, that's today. Imagine what's going to happen in 10, 15 years. It's kind of un- unfathomable. And that's why I'm so, um, such an advocate for this space because who knows once you have, creative minds with tech innovators coming together to, to push the world forward. It's a, it's a really cool, cool place to be.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Are there any particular other, other than Ben, you know, are there any particular collaborations there that you, you you're seeing with, um, you know, that tech and artistic sort of, uh, blending so that, you know, I mean, ben, Ben's one absolutely amazing. I think he's, uh, just about to or has dropped his by by the by the time this gets out, actually, he, he will have dropped his uh, his second uh, twenty four hour. You know, it, it, it's it, it is an amazing piece of work, and if you can if you can find it online, it's not hard. Go to Twitter, look up Ben Strauss, you'll see it. Um, yeah, it actually
1: got sold yesterday for thirty five thousand. That was his
0: second one. Got sold, was yeah. it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. Um, but are there any others out there that you think are particularly innovative and, you know, worth watching at the moment? Or
1: I think, I think there's two types of innovators that I would want to bring attention to. The first is the Ben Strausses of the world that are integrating the tech with their artistry. But that's not for everyone, right? Like not everyone's going to sit there and go, yeah, I want to learn to code and I want to learn smart contracts. So sure. the, different, the second part of innovation that I would um, turn to is people that are being very clever with their marketing and how they're curating their collections. Um, for example, Chad Torkelson is a good friend of mine and he did a, a Green World collection that is doing really well. He sold out straight away and he ended up retrospectively putting little um, keywords in his photos and he didn't tell people until like two months, I think it was a month or two months after he made that drop. Yep, and he has yep. like this little Easter egg in his photos and. Things like that where you're just thinking a little bit outside the box. And I always preach to NFT aspiring artists is go push the boundaries of this. You know, like Ben Strauss has now inspired a generation of people to do transient images. Um, Chad Torkelson has now challenged people to think about how can you add value after you've already sold out a collection? Yeah, And that's the kind of innovation that we're talking about. We're not just talking about the integration of tech and artistry, but we're talking about how is an artist can you push the boundaries of what it means to be a photographer in the digital, in the digital age? And Ruben Wu is another one. Mm-hmm. He basically did um, you know, kind of like a three-dimensional uh, piece. But the cool uh, physical application of that is that he actually has managed to, I don't know who he partnered with, but it's basically a two-dimensional image that you would put on a wall. But they're all like mini projectors on the surface of the, the actual two-dimensional image. That allows there to be a depth of field, so it actually looks three dimensional. and You can see the three dimensional image on a two dimensional um, piece of of uh you know, like uh, paper or yeah, whatever. And it's it's, it's not it a
0: it's not a digital screen or an LCD or anything like exactly, that.
1: Exactly, exactly. It's literally mini projectors um, on a on a, you know whatever medium he chose to back it on, and it and it allows that depth of field. So things like that is just we're only gonna innovate as quickly as people take those risks and it's something that i talk to people about just every day is this industry rewards innovators you seen it time and time again with different artists that do something a little bit outside the box and their pieces sell out because they're just not content with doing what everyone else is doing and that's yeah. a beautiful thing because it, it permits everyone else that comes after them to have that idea in mind when they're releasing their collection and i've certainly seen that with the last month probably of different artists evolving how they drop their collections so at first it was announcing on twitter hey guys my collection's out today go have a look and that was good enough for a time now it's putting out a week of marketing materials on their twitter and then someone in the community hosting them for their drop party and then now there's all this hype built up around their pieces And then you have all these people in the room and they all jump into, you know, their their OpenSea account to see what photos are available. And I think in the future, what will happen is, is that we'll actually have virtual galleries and we'll go one step further where on the drop day, you'll invite all of your friends to a virtual gallery instead of a physical one because we're all over the world. And the cool thing for an artist is seeing where the traffic moves, because you'll have a little avatar in that virtual gallery and as an artist you can see well what pieces are my my fellow collectors drawn to so they see eight people walking over to one piece that also puts a little bit of pressure on those collectors that are standing around that piece going oh my gosh there's eight people looking at this I better pull the trigger whereas right now where we're at is when you're in a drop party and you're just speaking in a Twitter space you can't really see where the eyes are going on yeah. on open you just someone may come up to the stage and say i really love 31 but you don't know how many other people in the audience are also looking at 31 so that's what yeah. i would i would see as, as and the until the,
0: until the buy happens you can't see who's who, who's even looking at it let alone exactly. who's buying it and exactly. then you know all of a sudden it's snapped up and somebody's got it and
1: yeah you know. exactly
0: so what 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 about the, uh, the the secondary market? So you know we you, you talked a little bit about the the fact that you can as an artist you can uh, a, apply a, a royalty payment so that when your you know art is then on sold you know you sell it to the original collector and then the collector decides okay well I want to flip it for a profit or I want to you know I I just want to put the put the price at a, a level that nobody else is going to bid for maybe, but then somebody comes and snaps that up. So what what actually happens there and how does that work? Yeah, for sure. So
1: um, obviously the primary market, which is pretty intuitive, would be you as the artist putting the piece on OpenSea or whatever marketplace and then a corresponding buyer picking that piece up. The secondary market is then that consequent buyer uh, relisting that item for a price point that they feel comfortable selling it for. So. When people talk about collectors in the in the NFT space, I do believe there are parallels with the real world where there's two types of buyers. One which will buy the work because they absolutely love it yeah. and they just want it for their collection. They they want that piece and so they want to put they, it in their vault. They
0: they want yeah. it in their, on their lounge room wall, you know.
1: Exactly, yeah. Or on their their digital, you know, lounge wall. So That's be it right. when we when we transition into that metaverse in the future, right? Um, and then the second type of collector is the one that is an investor primarily and what they're looking at is is your price point at a point where i can come in and i know a collector in my circle that will pay double triple quadruple what this is currently pro- evaluated at yes. and that's kind okay. of why it's the wild west right now is that there's no real curators out there that have a really honest idea of evaluating pieces the market and the artists are kind of setting it right now But in the future i'm sure there will be curators that will come around and will evaluate work on behalf of the artist um, in order for these artists to make their their piece not only sell the first time around but maybe two three four times over and that's when like you said grant you're then entitled to that royalty fee um which is really cool Uh, and it's something that you can't Really do in, in the physical world, so yeah, that's it just depends one of the not to happen idea. in the physical world.
0: Yeah, no, normally yeah. it's it, it's all geared towards either the galleries or the collectors to you know the, the and and auctioneers. They're the ones that are creaming off that what would normally be a royalty payment, exactly. uh, and the artist. You know, they might get the initial sale, and you know, let's say they they sell it for you know a, a piece of art for you know a thousand dollars. Uh, it may then increase in value, you know, years later, and somebody ends up sending it, selling it, the same piece for, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. The artist in the physical world rarely, if ever, sees any of that.
1: Exactly. In, and this, I think, in this world,
0: yeah. they'll get a piece of that hundred thousand dollars, and exactly. Depending on, and normally, the, on the royalty, what, what, they Yeah, see.
1: and royalty can be set the top end of the royalties you're looking at, I think you can set it to 25%. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't recommend that. I think that's too much off the secondary, but even just 10% is pretty fair, you know, and, and 10% of a hundred thousand, it's $10,000, you know, that's a lot of money for a piece that in the real world, you, you would kiss goodbye to and never see again. So I think that's a really um, great thing about NFTs. And what I think, Artists need to realize more in the NFT space is actually that the secondary market is, for once, more important than the primary market for an artist. Because if you can drum enough attention to you where your primary sales get sold out, okay, it might cost you lowering your price a little bit lower than maybe what you intended. But if you can say on Twitter, my collection sold out, well, secondary uh, collectors and artists will look at that and go, Oh, they must have, you know, a pretty good collection here. I need to get in in on this before the floor price, which if you ever hear that term, it means whatever the cheapest item of that collection is worth Mm -hmm. goes through the roof. And all of a sudden you get priced out and you can't have that piece anymore. And that's what we're seeing is that some artists in the space, some photographers, you know, they'll sell for a reasonable amount, but then for whatever reason, the secondary market tears it up and eats it up. And all of a sudden, it just turns into this cyclic, like crazy parabolic cycle where all of a sudden you may have sold a piece for 0.1 Ethereum, which roughly equates to, let's say $350 to then 10 Ethereum, and that's $35,000. So yeah, so it can really just spiral very quickly. And that's the really fun thing about this space is you just never know until you put yourself out there and and try.
0: Mm, Definitely. I want to want to switch a little bit on to I, I guess the the personal side of that you know so it, one, one of the things that obviously goes with all of these things that happen in social media in particular is you know you get people with fomo you know fear of missing out you know so there's people rushing to you know take part in this in you know what's effectively a uh, a digital gold rush um you know i i you know, been been around the traps for a little while. I, I lived through uh, and was in the the, the internet industry and uh, the original dot com boom back in you know ninety nine two thousand. Um, also, you know the 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 internet 2.0 and now coming into my third sort of wave of this. Yeah. Uh, digital boom um and you know you see the digital boom and then bust and then 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 boom but you also see you know a, a little bit around that that personal cost because you know there's there's you see people making money so you've got to rush over and you know get into it how do how, how do you see that you know affecting people's mental health and how they how they see themselves and how they compare themselves against you know others and so forth you know you you put a collection up and it doesn't sell you know for example and it could be not not quite the right marketing not quite the right price or just not seeing a collector that engages and and you know decides to be you know supportive of your work
1: um yeah to that point about mental health i think that it's It's a real thing, you know, I think we saw a, a lot of mental health uh, issues come out of web two point and, and the emergence of social media, and I have no doubt that web three will also bring its problems with mental health, but what I try and tell artists is that as long as you're happy at the price point that you're putting it at and you and that's where you're happy letting your piece of work go for, wait for the right collector, you know you shouldn't be disheartened if people aren't buying your work because you're passionate about it which is one thing and you are putting it and pricing it at a point that if it does get sold you're happy that it got sold at that price and I've seen artists that have had work on the shelf for about three months and sell out a collection just because for whatever reason a big name a big collector in the industry bought one piece posted about it and all of a sudden everyone else was like wow this art is incredible like I need to get in on this too so I think like the parallels that we have of the real world where you may have a gallery in the real world and you may not sell anything and then that's kind of okay well i need to kind of shut up shop or go to another gallery space if they'll take me the digital world doesn't really work like that that piece is uh, immortalized in the blockchain so it it can sit there forever theoretically once you've paid your dues to to list the item so there's never a, a time where i don't think you can sell a piece I understand that people will sell out in minutes. Other people, it may take years. But the cool part about having a piece listed at this point in time specifically is, in a hundred years, you know, you may not be here, um, but your art will be worth a ton of money um, just because of the inherent historical context. And I say a hundred, you know, that with how fast this industry is moving, it could be ten years. Because ten years in the digital world is, as we all know, very quick. And, it, and a lot happens in 10 years. So it could even be in 10 years, you know, you've still got these pieces on the shelf, but someone could come around and go, this piece is from 2021. Unbelievable. I'll pay you whatever. Like I need I'm a 2021 have it. piece. I've got to have it, right? Like you were one of the first people to mint an NFT. Yeah. That inherently holds value. And that's why I say to people all the time, if you are launching a collection or one of one and it's not selling, that doesn't mean that it will never sell it means that you haven't connected with the right collector yet and time is the greatest asset that you have and you just need to keep building community via twitter spaces and no doubt other social media platforms as they start to pick up this idea of nfts mm-hmm. and that's where you're going to see yourself start being prosperous so yeah there's no rush and i understand there's those mental health um problems that may be associated with that but i really try and speak daily to artists and say it's okay you know, you're know, you in the right place and that's half the battle right now is that you're in now, you're a yeah. first mover, you're a trailblazer and in years to come, whether you're selling it now or in five years, you're still going to make the money that you priced it for today.
0: Yeah, because some, some things are always going to be a slow burn, others are going to you know, go off the shelves you know, very quickly and you know, the, 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 the meteoric rises don't necessarily equate to your work if it doesn't sell as fast being bad or you know it's as I say it, it might <clears throat> might just be that you haven't actually found the right collector for it. You know, you haven't connected uh with with the right people in terms of you know they they haven't seen it they don't know that you're there. And you know it goes back to our earlier point about how you actually get seen in in the market yeah.
1: and so forth. And I and I expect that as soon as open Sea which, as I said, is the largest marketplace volume-wise for photography right now, once that platform puts photography as a category, so many people are going to make out, because as soon as collectors can evaluate a piece of photography and know what it stands for relative to the photography market itself, that's where these investors are going to start trading these like collectibles, because they know what they're worth. If they see a piece that's Undervalued, they're going to snap it up straight away. And you're going to see a lot of artists that right now are unknown in the space become household names in the digital community because of that very notion of bringing a ton of new collectors and money with it into the space.
0: I think one of the things that uh, a lot of people forget is that, you know, they see, you know, in social media now, you know, particularly on Instagram with the algorithm, you know, it's always showing, You know, everyone's highlight reels while everyone else is uh, living their own blooper reel, you know, which is uh, something that I think a lot of people uh, forget that that little sort of demon in the back of the head is sitting there saying, you know, you're no good or your work's no good or, you know, you're not as good as somebody else. Um, You know, how do you, how do you, I guess, stop that comparison? You know that goes on between you and other people's work and you know, know knowing that you know that person may be at a different point on a on a learning curve or on a on a skills curve that, uh, that than you are
1: yeah I, I think that's a great question because it's something that I've always struggled with you know imposter syndrome has been something that as a creator has, has been difficult because like you said you see the best people in the world at what you do and naturally, when you fall short of that, you're like, wow, like, maybe I'm not cut out for this. So I think the the mentality shift that I made as a creator myself was that I should celebrate where I'm at today. And I should put out work regardless,
0: mm-hmm. and mm-hmm.
1: believe that my community will support the fact that I'm still on my journey, and that I haven't actually hit the apex of my career yet. And I think the cool thing about NFTs is that, people want to buy in early on artists because inherently that holds more value as you get better as a creator. So something that has really helped me with my mentality with NFTs is the fact that if I launch something tomorrow, yes, there's value in it um, because it, it might be a nice piece of art that someone might want to buy, but more so it's the fact that it's the first one that Jack Wardale made. Yeah, And if he is here to stay and have a career of another 10-15 years in this space well by time he's releasing something in 10 years that first piece that he made at year one is going to be worth a crazy amount of value compared to what he makes at year 10 just because although his prices may have risen as his art got better people will always want to pick up those first initial pieces when he was still growing and That's something that I try and breathe into the community right now is that it's okay to not be the best yet, but rather be brave enough to tell that part of your narrative, you know, admit to the community that, hey, I haven't been doing this for that long. But I think the problem I see existing in the NFT space right now is, is that you'll have 15 year olds price their work at the same price as someone that's been doing it for 20 years. And this is not for me to say that, that age equals uh, you know, lack of experience, but the, because there isn't that curation right now, there's not really a way to distinguish between the, the high-priced pieces and the low-priced pieces. And I think some creators are, that are new in the space, um, as we all are, but new in terms of as a creator, yep. try to evaluate their work as highly as someone that's been doing it their whole life, and that's won multiple awards for photography, and yeah, yeah. that's something that I have to weather as a community leader in the future. Is trying to gently tell people actually it probably won't sell at this price point, and that's not because I don't believe you're new as a creator. It's just because you haven't quite got the name behind you is one thing, and also you haven't quite developed as an artist yet, where I think you can afford to to evaluate your work that highly and. It's going to be a, it's going to be difficult conversations, you know, and I think at the moment everyone's pricing their work around the same price, hoping to goodness that someone will just take a gamble and buy their work for that price point but I think as the market matures, you're really going to see price points string out where you're going to have some really seriously top artists evaluating their work highly and rightfully so, and at the other end, rightfully so, you're going to see these emerging artists that will price their art substantially lower because they understand where they're at in their creative journey. And I think as long as they're they're reflecting on their art and they understand the position that they're in, I think that's where you start becoming more understanding with your journey and where you're at and and not comparing yourself as much to maybe the best in class, uh, you know, at what they do.
0: Well, you know, in landscape photography, for example, you know, not everyone is going to be an Ansel Adams, you know. But also looking, looking at Ansel Adams, you know, you've got to look at his body of work, right, and not just his last pieces and so forth, but if you look at his entire body of work, he went through a learning curve. And, you know, because he ended up being Ansel Adams, very famous and, you know, one of the greatest landscape photographers, you know, uh, in, in history, that early work still has intrinsic value because it's his, not because it's particularly good. Yeah, exactly. You know, know, so when when, when people look at that, you know, they've got to kind of remember that, A, not everyone gets there and that's okay because, you know, getting there isn't the be all and end all of everything. B, your early work is your early work and, you know, it's never going to be as good, you know, as long as you're continually stretching and uh, pushing yourself to improve it's never going to be as good as your subsequent work. And, you know, people remembering that and understanding that, you know, I think is a, a really important point.
1: Exactly. And I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the investor category of these NFT investors slash collectors buying um, work that may be slightly inflated in price because <laughs> they think wholeheartedly that this artist is going to be someone someday. They see the potential in their art maybe it's not the technicalities of their work, but more so the eye that they have. And they're like, if this person shows longevity in the space and grows, like you said, then they're gonna be, this piece that I'm picking up that may not be the best piece ever, is still gonna hold, like you said, intrinsic value because of when it was made and who it was made by. So I think that's why it's the Wild West now as well, because collectors don't really know who the next big name's gonna be. They can pick up pieces with that hunch, but no one really knows yet, and I think as more artists come through underneath, like I said, I I speak to a couple of fifteen year old creators that this is all they know. That they, they didn't start in the real world and branch over. They all they know is digital NFT art. So once you see those kind of young people come through, and that's all they know, I could see a lot of creators and collectors investing in those people because if they just stick with it, and they were known as one of the first that exclusively did NFTs, Mm -hmm. that holds a ton of value. So, yeah, yeah, I think your name in the real world does count for something. I don't want listeners here to think, have I got to start again? Absolutely not. There's definitely, um, your name will go before you, especially if you start in your bio and things like that, saying, you know, shot for Nat Geo or multiple award-winning photographer. It holds weight still in the digital world. It's just the fact that it's a different kind of medium and a different way to navigate and connect with with prospective collectors.
0: Yeah, sure. I guess looking at people that are, you know, working through their creative process, have you ever dealt with uh, yourself or with other people that have, you know, hit a creative wall? And, you know, how, how did you sort of get over that wall or around that wall or through that wall? What, are, what, what kind of techniques are out there that uh, people can use to get themselves you know back on track
1: definitely um i think the coolest thing about the nft space is that the community of of artists and creators is tighter than ever this is not just an instagram you know post on a feed and and you have these superficial comments this is you're jumping into twitter spaces and talking to these creators as human beings and inherently with that it inspires me to be a better creator that that process alone seeing what other artists are doing talking to them face-to-face pretty much about what their process is, that's really helped me. But in terms of creative block, I really did struggle um, for the first like four months about how I was going to add value to the space. And I guess that's my creative block that I had. Not so much that I, I have work that I could post. It's more, how do I at- articulate that in a way that other people are going to be receptive towards? And, and again, like I said, add value to the community. So although I'm a videographer and a photographer um, by trade, i also write and i saw a real opportunity in the writing section of nfts that had not really been explored yet so i thought to myself why not be a trailblazer why not take that risk the the market may not adopt it the the market may say there's no other nft poems out there right now Why, why would i you know invest in this or flip the script they may say he was the first to do it so he will always be known as the first to do it properly um and that was really the breakthrough that I needed to be like, I finally found a way to differentiate myself in the community and also um, add value to the community where I am now permitting them to also take risks in their in their mediums and, and maybe not go for a traditional medium that they may be known for. You know, like me, uh, people will know me for video, but now they're <laughs> going to see a whole new you know, dimension to me. And, and I'm really excited for that because I've never really shared my writing publicly before.
0: Yeah, no, that's fantastic, and yeah, you know, to be honest, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing some of that work. Uh, uh, it, it, I, I think it, it it's you know tremendously. You know, you're you're taking a tremendous personal risk, I guess, in 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 doing that, as you say. But I think you know a lot of people, you know, do tend to play it safe in the art world. You know, they 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 stick to what they know, they stay in their lane, and they don't. Uh, you know, they don't sort of shift around and look for other creative opportunities but i think as you say this space is really you know one of the one of the places where taking those sorts of risks you know it comes at a, a, a it comes at a, a cost everything does but that cost i think is very affordable and you know and, and i don't mean monetarily i mean you know personally as well as you know fi- financially but uh you know, that that cost is actually, the the cost of entry is really low. And therefore, you know, whilst you're taking risks in terms of your work and in terms of your reputation and so forth, you're not, you know, really going to be, I I don't think anyone's going to, you know, hold you up as an example of somebody that's done the wrong thing, you know, unless what you're you write is uh, you know, particularly offensive to a, a whole bunch of people.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, no, absolutely. No, I, I agree. And I think that just for me, it was a process of, I want to take risks because I think uh, it's rewarded in this, in this innovative time where there's no real sense of market maturity. So even as a photographer, you know, like we talked about Ben Strauss earlier, he, he tries something new and it's worth $35,000 for one piece of art. With me and the poems, it's more, you know, my price points are going to be very low and accessible, mainly because I just don't want to price anyone out. But yeah. at the same time, it's just an opportunity to say to maybe people that have wanted to do poet, poems as NFTs, you can do this. And I think even if I don't sell anything, I will have moved the community forward one more step. And in this innovative time, that for me is the priority as a community leader is allowing granting people the opportunity and, and allowing them to be vulnerable enough to take risks um knowing that it could well be rewarded and hopefully you know knock on wood um you know the collection goes really well it hits secondary and does really well and and it's a really good case study for for others in the community to look at and say yeah it was worth him taking that risk you know he it, it didn't fall on his face it, it it really took off so i think that's why i've been so um articulate about this particular project because i i do really want it to be successful not just for myself but for others in the community that are maybe thinking of taking risks but at the present time don't feel comfortable doing so because they haven't really seen anyone do it
0: mm, okay so there's been um you know talked a lot and you're obviously an advocate and we've talked a lot about the positive side of uh nfts you know a little bit about some of the the personal negatives but what about the societal and uh you know, um, I, I guess climate uh, negatives that are out there. I mean, there's quite a lot of stories about how, you know, one F- NFT, you know, costs in, a, in emissions about the same as, uh, you know, somebody in the Western world, you know, running a house for a month or three months or whatever, you know, depend, depends on the study you look at. I've I've seen lots of different numbers kicked around. Where, where do you say, where, where do you stand on that sort of thing and how do you see, um, you know, I guess, what do, you, what do you say in response to somebody that's using that as an argument not to get into it and, you know, uh, uh, avoiding the market and, you know, saying we shouldn't be doing this?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think a couple of things. So the first thing I want to mention about that is that Ethereum right now is proof of work, uh, not proof of stake. Whereas a lot of other blockchains are proof of stake, not proof of work. And the difference is, environmentally, is that the proof of work concept that the Ethereum blockchain currently runs on is environmentally not good at all. And I'll be the first one to admit that. But for the proof of stake blockchain, such as Cardano and Solana, it's much more, I wouldn't call it exactly carbon neutral, but you're very... Zero very emission. Good. exactly right but you're very close there's still got to be electricity involved but not nearly as much of proof of work the good news is is that the ethereum network is going to be transferring to ethereum 2.0 which is to uh, a proof of stake network so when that happens all of these emission criticisms um will go away um majorly because all of a sudden it's not nearing the the same power to make these
0: nfts brings and, brings it into line you know for people to get a bit of perspective brings it into line with say watching a netflix video or you know exactly
1: YouTube exactly video, right so. exactly and and the one that's that's not wanting to budge is bitcoin because bitcoin is bitcoin and they don't want to change so bitcoin will probably always say a proof of of work um blockchain which is a shame but ethereum you know listened to the critics and said okay, we need to go proof of stake with this to make sure that this is more sustainable. And I think the second point of this is that a lot of people that are selling NFTs are actually giving back to different nonprofits. So understanding that, yes, there is an environmental factor um, to be concerned about right now on Ethereum blockchain specifically. Um, I know that my piece, I'm donating some of mine to mental health. I know there's been uh, someone I did a drop party with last night. She's doing Marine uh conservation in the florida springs so people are understanding of that and are trying to give back um in terms of some of the because there's so much more money to be made with nfts than real world art at the moment like the, the kind of money that's getting thrown around is quite frankly crazy and i think the artists themselves are taking the responsibility and the initiative to understand that yes this may not be the most environmental practice but how can we Still give back to nonprofits and other means of of charitable work that can hopefully offset in some capacity, um, you know, maybe the environmental problems that surround the, the blockchain currently.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I guess you know, just sort of trying to 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 wrap things up now. Are there any photographers out there, you know, whether they're in the NFT space or not, that you think I should be getting onto the podcast to talk about?
1: Oh, I could give you a, a list as long I as my arm, um, and I and yeah, I already okay. have a
0: long list. But I like I like okay. I, was, I like to work through that long list.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, gosh, where to start? I honestly, it's better me just sending it to you, just because um, there's there's so many. Um, but I can I can rattle off some names um, just real quick. Um, Lauren, um, Laren dropped his collection two days ago. Let me yep. just find. Yeah, I've got him coming
0: now. up on the podcast uh, oh, in, in a few awesome. weeks, I hope. So,
1: oh, well, that's a treat for you guys then, because uh, he's, he's an awesome guy as well as an artist. And I think that's the cool thing about Twitter space is that the people that are doing really well are not just the great artists, but they're the great people as well, mm-hmm. um, because there's this real human social component to NFTs in the Twitter space that we kind of exist in. So, anyone that you pull, from the nft world who's a photographer in the twitter realm is going to be a good person i um, innately um let me just think of some others gosh there, there's so many uh
0: well oh, there's John ben strouse obviously sorry
1: Strauss, John weatherby um gosh I, it's what it's funny actually like you asking me that question i'm kind of drawing a blank because like so many people come to mind um i'm just trying to think of like for your podcast specifically what kind of landscapes typically can it be you know pretty much any anything
0: it's, it's landscape photography world so anything you okay. like. <laughs>
1: um kenneth larose um is pretty good um, yep. i've cut up with him a fair bit um gosh there's there's just so many uh let me think i've got my phone in front of me i'm trying to like look through my recent dms to see who might be a good fit um Even getting little Jack Igo, the 15 year old creator, might be kind of cool because I know he's venturing into landscapes and it might be cool to explore, you know, his journey. Um, Corpse, uh, Seventh Era, um, JT, he does street, but he also does a bit of landscape. Yeah, there's just so many people out there that are are doing landscape photography and it's so cool to see them all rallying around each other. And I would highly recommend if you don't want to dip into the NFT world straight away just go be a part of the community because there's so many good community members
0: and, yeah, just, and just everyone well join the space.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it, it's not always about the photography either. You know, people are just happy to, you know, talk about just life. And, and that's really cool. You know, like I do mental health spaces where, you know, we all just get a little bit vulnerable with each other and we kind of just talk about, you know, deeper things. And, you know, there's so many different spaces out there, but they're, they're driven by the creators. And it's really cool to have that common similarity where, if we need to talk about creative stuff, great. We can empathise with each other. But if we want to talk about something else just as well, we can do that too. So it's, it's really, really a cool space.
0: Yeah, fantastic. All right, mate, I've got one last question for you and this is uh, definitely the most important one. Uh, okay. do, you, do, do you like pineapple on pizza?
1: Oh, it's a, it's a tough one because I have had it on pizza and when I was, okay, I'll tell you my trajectory. So when I was a kid, Definitely not. But then, now I'm like more of an adult. I have grown partial to pineapple on pizza, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't go for it. I wouldn't choose it. But if it was laying around at a, a party, I wouldn't be partial to like pick up a piece and eat it. So that's my stance <laughs>
0: on it. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking the time, Jack. It's been really wonderful uh, exploring the world of NFTs with you. And uh, you know, I'm. Uh, I'm really, really pleased we've taken the time out to to do this, and uh, look forward to releasing it once uh, once I'm done with the edits, etc. Uh, where where can people find your work? What's the best way they can get in touch other than yeah, I, Twitter I think, obviously.
1: Yeah, I think Twitter would be probably best for like more of my personal stuff, just because again, like we said earlier, like NFTs haven't really spread to other social media, so my social media is at wardale jack so it's just kind of like my first and last name but my last name first i don't know whether i i thought i was james bond when i when i made that initially but um i did it backwards and then if you want to check out my my actual company's work um that's www.elationcreative.com so that that would be where you would you know me showing more of my my client side
0: fantastic all right well thanks again mate
1: yeah absolutely thank you so much for having me grant i really appreciate um you know dropping by and uh and kicking it with you for a bit
0: Yeah, thank you thanks again for listening to landscape photography world hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because i'm going to be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes you can find my work and this podcast at grant i'm also on instagram twitter and facebook i'm grant swinburne i hope to see you out shooting soon If this episode has raised issues for you, or if you're concerned about someone you know, please call Lifeline on 131114, or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 4636. If life is in danger, phone 000.